This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. This is going to be part one of a two-parter, where we're basically going over kind of a downtime topic that there's an absurd amount of information over. And we kind of went over stratosphere level, caught the important bullet points, and we're going to go over them over the next two episodes. And that is foils. Now, something that's important to notice, obviously, a lot of you listen to us on whatever podcast platforms. If you have a chance, watching these two particular episodes on YouTube is important because we're going to be using a lot of visual aids. Uh, As we go through the different eras, we'll show images of packs with foil rates. We'll show comparisons of foils throughout time. And there's going to be a few where we're actually going to show a comparison of what Watsi's foiling looks like to what some other companies like sports cards, you know, whatever, what their foiling looks like. Just to kind of see how Wizards of the Coast did their own thing with it. Yep. So one of the most important things then is, of course, to define what a premium or foil card is. So we'll get started with that. Yep. Uh, so there's actually... A- two definitions here. The idea of a premium card is more about uh, an umbrella term. So a premium card is not only a foil card, it's anything that kind of uses a different template as well. So your full art non-foil cards, anything with a date stamp, so older pre-release cards, uh, things that even came in like the Deckmaster series are premium cards because they're different than the cards that come in a pack, showcase cards, premium cards. Foil is just one of many ways you can create a premium card. And the definition really kind of came about for Urza's legacy, where Watsi, you know, they they wanted to spiff up the game a little bit. Um, I think the Pokemon contract was either in the works then or coming down uh, the pipe, and they needed, you know, to meet this demand. So they began testing ways to foil cards. And there's... A lot of ways that they tried in the past, and they kind of settled on this multi-level or multi-layer uh, version of foiling that we see throughout history. And one of the other things, not only with the way foils have evolved, has been how foil allocation has worked. Yes. And there's a distinct demarcation point, which we're actually about to go back to, uh, in Time Spiral Remastered, and that was, of course, the original Time Spiral foil allocation, yes. which there's pre-Time Spiral, post-Time Spiral. Yep. So prior to Time Spiral, when you opened a foil in your pack, it actually represented the card in that slot. So if you opened uh, a foil rare, that was your rare. If you opened a foil common, that was one of the ten. Uh, similarly with uncommons, it was one of the three. Starting with Time Spiral, it always took the spot of the common in the pack. So now you can, you'll still receive that 15 card pack, but you'll be less a, com- less a common. It allows you to open three, uh, sorry, four uncommons or two rares. And there's not a lot of kind of information about why that was done. A lot of people kind of point to sealed and limited as a way to like break up the monotony of that format and create a little bit more, you know, randomness, spiciness of that format. But that is the demarcation. And along with that demarcation, of course, there's been uh, five or six different foil rarities, which Reptar mentioned Urza's Legacy, obviously. Back then, your rare took the place of your rare. 
and that ratio has changed the display and everything has changed yes. and this is where the examples come into play here yep so uh the earliest era that we went to was right around that original era we wanted to point out seventh edition specifically and i've got the back of a seventh seventh edition pack uh up here and highlighted you could see that the odds of opening a premium card is one in 100 so a pack is 15 cards so that's roughly six and a half packs you would open uh, a foil and you'll notice that on cards from this era uh, you know thirsty uh, tossed up a white one i've got stone rain here you can see like how true these colors are and how you know deep uh these colors are and uh, you can see the the shooting star down at the bottom here that really helped kind of demarcate these foils now uh, the interesting thing about 7th edition in these foils is that 7th edition wasn't a widely adopted set it wasn't so there was not a great print run overall and that puts it puts additional pressure on 7th edition foils compared to some of the other sets around it which just have naturally high prices because of the allure of those sets or the era which within which they exist the power of the cards you know you know etc Ares's legacy and Ares's destiny foils are objectively more expensive than the rest because they're effectively the first so after 7th, we had a rarity shift at 8th edition, which was one of the many times that magic was supposed to have died. Uh, and that, that change happened there. So this is point number two, where we suddenly have a different demarcation of these insertion ratios. And this one's uh, a little harder to see, but now we're at one of 70. Um, and 8th edition was also a major border change. It was, I think, the first border change overall in the game, and we changed away from the original border to something like we uh, see here. This isn't an 8th edition foil. This is a 9th edition foil, but you can see the shooting star is gone, and we are now at something that resembles the modern template, 8th uh, edition and 9th edition effectively the same. And 8th edition was also a white border set, foils being black border, which also makes some of these era foils a little more, core set foils, a little more sought after because you don't have these heinous white borders floating around inside uh, your deck overall. Now, it was a marked decision to remove the shooting star foils, and there was actually a question posed to Watsi about that, and conveniently the answer still exists on the Watsi site. And so September 8th, 2003, uh, Alex Loft from Australia uh, asks, hey, where do the shooting stars go? And Magic Art Director at the time, Jerry Cranford, said uh, it was kind of hard to tell with some of the colors on old card faces that the card was foil at first glance, except for the black. They decided to add the shooting star, this, so this is around the originals, to make the, the foils shine more. And effectively, with the new foils, it wasn't necessary to add the shooting star because of the border change. And the way that the colors in the game have or had lightened over all the time. And I'll, I'll put these up for side by side. And you can see, you know, the Seening Song, red's pretty light overall. And then you look at the Stone Rain and how dark and true this red is. And it be, it's, becomes a little more evident as you move the card around in your hand. You know, yeah, it's a foil. A lot of this uh, is attested to uh, white cards in particular or uh, artifacts from uh, Mirrodin, which is a weird bleached look and things were a little more difficult to see. And you know, a template change forced this essentially. And now, it, and, and then we had another template change, somewhat in terms of framing of text, how text was placed in text boxes yep. with 10th edition, which saw 
another shift in foil insertion ratios. So uh, 10th edition is kind of a standout. It's one of 56, so we've dropped by a lot. And we'll see as we move forward, coming out of 10th edition, why this is a, a little more interesting and unique. But, uh, you know, not a lot going on with this set. A Probably one of the largest drops in uh, foiling rate over time. We weren't able to check every set because it's actually very difficult to get uh, these angles on these old packs are not a lot of a lot of it these images floating around but we're not going to see it ratchet back up from 56 to 70 and then drop again and you could say yeah seventh edition one in 100 to eighth edition you know one in seven one in 78 22 point drop compared to uh, i guess another 22 point drop basically the same thing across time we're just not going to see this drop rate happen again and foils no. become a little more prevalent Financially speaking, they're still about the same multiplier. You're still looking at about 2x regardless of the card. And then, of course, we have one of the best slash worst things Wizards ever did, which was the launch of Modern Circa Return to Ravnica, which was the next shift and was actually one of the last shifts for a while that yes. we saw in foil insertion. Uh, so this pack uh, actually came to us from a Twitter follower, Mr. Lu Bu Fu. Uh, we put out this hit last week looking for this pack, so thank you very much. And you can see that the foil rate here is approximately 1 in 67. And so we come back up from 10th edition over time. Uh, and Discounting you know, things like uh, Innistrad and um, the Zendikar, the original Zendikar printing where things are a little funky in print runs. And yeah. we wanted to look at Return to Ravnica because now we're at the modern print run era. Everything prior to Return to Ravnica was printed in much less quantity compared to this. So this was kind of one of our big signposts of, okay, we're looking at a modern era of printing. Core sets and other, and other sets prior should follow the same patterns overall. What do things look like in this new updated era of the game? And we're seeing 1 in 67, and that's not bad overall it feels fine it keeps prices effectively the same we're also now in the world where mythics ex exist so we're looking at another multiplier for price in regards to mythics compared to uh, rares but we're also looking at a ratio change in the way that things are uh, foils are allocated into packs so that math changes a little bit and now things become a little more difficult for vendors to figure out their pack crack math because foils and mythics, but they found a way. Yeah, uh, had to get there. From that era, though, uh, this is from Theros because it couldn't find a return to Rav uh, foil. This is a buy a box foil, so you will see the Watsi water watermark on it. But you can see uh, everything about this is pretty much the same as the ninth edition foil. Not a lot has changed in time overall. We're still looking at a layered printing style with foil effectively across the entirety of the card, aside from border and text. And one of the exceptions we had to that was around this time, may the program rest in peace, the Magic Player Reward System, where they would send you foils like this just for playing at your LGS. Yes. So this was a unique foiling process in that it was across the entire card. Uh, text box included and you can see the red pop there and just looked really good and haven't done anything like that in a while so and that was something else they did at this time I forgot about the Magic Player Rewards program it's been dead for so long 
That was a mistake. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the next thing we get to is when people do their pack math. And we get to what the actual rate and percentages are for you to get a foil rare, foil mythic, whatever. And this was something that had kind of been disseminated throughout the history of magic. But at this point, you have the wonderful thing known as the Internet, where all of this information lives forever immediately. So there's actually a wonderful post that we have the link to. So uh, before we actually get to percentages and packs, uh, we have the... Oh. We have War Sorry. of the Spark. So yep. it, it took a little while, and, and I had to mull this one around for a bit to find the newest set with foils before we looked at the uh, update to foils for Core 20, or Core 2020, whatever you want to call it. And we're now in the new template era after Return to Rav. This is where we're looking. And we looked at War of the Spark, because after that we start getting showcase variants and with the the booster collector boosters and uh, the, the booster fund or whatever the project booster fund was, was put into uh, effect and we we looked at war of the spark okay what is the rate on war of the spark and we find that war of the spark is still one of 67 so we're looking at you know new template overall uh, we have the foil stamp at the bottom the foils basically still look the same and we're effectively in the modern era of foiling and things kind of float you know one of 67 in Return to Raft, 1 of 67, War of the Spark. Uh, a lower overall percentage chance of opening a foil compared to 10th Ed, but Project Booster Fund actually changed the way things are done. So Project Booster Fund was announced in uh, July of 2019, and part of the update to boosters overall was changing the foil drop rate, and I have the, the quote highlighted here. Previously, the foil drop rate in prints, this is counting all foils of all rarities, was 1 in 67, exactly what we saw from Return to Rev to War of the Spark, which results in a 22.5% chance of opening one in, in any booster, so any rarity, whatever. The new drop rate is now 1 in 45 cards, so it basically ups it to 1 in 3 packs, now contains a foil. So now we're looking over overall at a larger population of foils opened in every set effectively starting at uh, core 20. So from then forward booster packs is booster packs and we're now seeing foils across everything. The other change we had somewhere between Return to Rav and War of the Spark was the way that pre-release kits work and I forget exactly what had happened and basically anything can now come with a pre-release stamp on it instead of yep. doing the guild kits etc. And this is more of a point for the next time around, but this does affect foil population overall. Uh, it didn't change things the way we expected to, where they became the chase foil because they're harder to find. They just entered the general population of foil foils overall and increase it overall maybe by two to three percent, I'd say. Yeah, um, somewhere around there. Unless something is ridiculous in the set and it just becomes cheaper to buy pre-release kits for value compared to regular packs. So yeah. Uh, moving forward uh, to the the ratios uh, that you mentioned, uh, this is a, a post on a, a board game stack exchange, and it is extremely heady, and so I'm, I'm not going to bring it up on, on screen, but I will link it in the show notes. Effectively, uh, what you're looking at from 2017 to uh, core 20, where they made this change overall, is that, um, and these are uh, rough approximations, of foils that you open 
14.28% or a 1 in 7 chance of your foil being a uh, rare or mythic. 12.15% uh, of it being a rare, 1.7% of it being a mythic rare. So that first number was the combined total. After that, 12.5% of all foils you open will be a rare. 1.7% of all foils you open will be a mythic. So that's from core from 2017 to core 20. So it's a, a brief period of time, but the ratio kind of stands overall. And the, the, the math that will be in that post is effectively what vendors have to use something similar for their pack crack math, because they don't look at, we sold X number of commons or uncommon, sometimes even rares, they look at the pre-orders for mythics because mythics have the lowest open rate across all types of cards, you know, just in non-foil, and you have to meet that number. Okay, so what's your pack crack math? Until you get to all your mythic orders filled, you keep opening. And this, this is, like you said, thanks to the internet, a lot easier to do now because you can just look it up, but... <clears throat> and it's there. Yep, the math. Something interesting that happened after this as part of Project Booster Fun and Wizards continually making things as complicated as they possibly can was they posted an article where they said, all right, we have draft boosters, we have set boosters, theme boosters, here's the details on everything. Mm -hmm. And this is actually kind of interesting because this is one of the things that when they started doing set boosters, we see a drastic change and the way that foils work. Yes. So uh, set boosters are pretty interesting, and um, there's a lot of imagery in this article, so it's going to be a, a better uh, open later on. But the way to think about a set booster is not 15 cards. It's 15 slots, and set boosters are effectively grouped together. There are two interesting slots that we care about. Slot 2, the land slot. 15% of the time, the land in this slot will be foil. The slot being a foil does not prevent you getting a second foil in the booster, direct quote. Then there's slot 13, the dedicated foil slot, a slot where you get a foil in every pack. This slot can be any rarity. So they both can be uh, a foil of any rarity, and now we start to see two foils per pack, which is an increased rate even from master sets, which we'll touch on. And this has only been uh, since, when this article go out? July of 2020, so four months, we've been under this kind of new paradigm. So we're seeing yet another increase in foil population. The one thing we don't know and don't have a great view on is how many set boosters are bought compared to collector's booster boxes and compared to draft booster boxes. Draft booster boxes being what you knew of before, uh, not a Korea. Poop. Oh, this is gonna drive me crazy. Maybe it is a core. Throne? No, I don't. But maybe I don't think Throne had set boosters, but somewhere, somewhere no, in there becomes the set boosters. It was after Acoria. Yeah. I so yeah, we don't quite have those uh, numbers yet available to us. Um, you know, those are kind of tucked away numbers from vendors and distro. Watsi has those numbers. They do with what they what they need. You know, the open market just kind of absorbs these but overall it is again another increase of the foil population but alongside the the draft boosters giving us two additional ways to acquire foils and set and collectors boosters has kind of muddied the waters for foils overall because now there are also more ways 
to acquire a foil of a card because there's more variants that are premium. And this is where things get obviously dicey. But prior to this, there was kind of a warning that some people saw as, you know, obviously the internet is everything is the end of the world. But it was kind of seen as like, oh, well, this is this is the beginning of the end. It's all coming to a close now because we're getting supplemental sets like Modern Masters, yep. Eternal Masters, whatever master set you want to call it, where now suddenly we have foils in every pack. And this was something that when we were talking about how we wanted to outline these two episodes, we weren't entirely sure where to put it. Mm -hmm. Because this kind of goes in with something we touched on earlier, where you have Innistrad, Shadows over Innistrad, stuff like that, where you have an extra slot. Yes. Where you have flip cards. And this also messes up for a few sets where your pack math can be. Because, obviously, you can get a foil on every pack of Eternal Masters. The question is, do you win the Jace lottery, or do you end up with Comments another... <laughs> which is the best pack lottery to do at a booth, by the way. <laughs> when it's open a Comet Storm, get a free pack. Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, and you have the flip cards, which also, obviously, take up a slot. Yep. And the reason that this is, I think, particularly compelling is because it showed... For anyone that was paying attention, a willingness on Watsi's part to go there and start tinkering with what we had in terms of foil ratios. Yeah. Because as much as I harp on Watsi for, you know, having their heads so far up their ass, they're eating their own tongue. Uh, they very rarely do things without looking or researching it a little bit first. Yep may disagree with it, but they obviously tested the waters here with these increased foil ratios. Yep. And it, it, all, it all rolls up to Project Booster Fun. You know, people enjoyed the master sets, and as a thank you for buying a pack, because things could be so swingy, but they don't care about the secondary market, have a foil. You know, it makes everything easier uh, to, to swallow in that regard. You might have opened that Comet Storm at Mythic, but at least you still got a foil in the pack. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, the the supplemental sets overall create a wrinkle to what goes on with the foil math for a lot of those sets. The the flip sets in particular, uh, both Innistrads, saw the ability to open three possible foils. Uh, or sorry, three rays in a pack, two of them foil. Uh, because yeah. you have... Uh, your your regular rare, you have your foil slot, and then you have your flip slot, which can also be a foil. So things are incredibly odd when you look at the math for that set. Similarly, Magic Origins was a little interesting because there were the five flip walkers and no other flip cards in that set. And if you've ever seen a, a sheet of Magic Origins, it looks messed up. It's yeah. just infinite planeswalkers, and I don't know how the allocation for that worked. But then, as you mentioned, we have all the master sets that come out with a foil each, and now we're seeing a unique foiling pattern start with Commander Legends in the etched foils, yep. where you can have the regular set foil of a card and an etched version of the card, further diluting the waters. With the supplemental also comes things like uh, Commander Arsenal, and um, the uh, from the vault sets, 
And I think something interesting about seeing these shifts in foils with like commander sets and supplemental products, which again was where they tried this stuff out first before they brought it to, you know, collectors boosters, project booster fund. So I have here an example of two foils that are from the same year, both from supplemental products. One was from commander and one was from battle bond. And if you look at the two foils and I'll try to capture it in the light here, the one is being Battle Bond, significantly brighter in color than is the Commander, which is Astrid, where things seem to be a little bit more muted. And this is something that's interesting because when you talk about how foils shift and everyone knows how bad Avacyn Restored was, first run, everyone knows how bad Modern Masters 2 was. These are the type of things that we're starting to see less and less of like bad foils. Yep and more style changes, like your etched foils, which do complicate things a little bit. But it's interesting to see that these broadcasts are there in the game. You just have to look. Yep. And, you know, what really comes out of all of this in the last two years or so in regards to how we're going to be getting all the versions of a foil are yet to be seen. We have call time coming out shortly and then time spiral 2 we know we're getting old border foils in the time spiral slot but we don't know if we're getting collectors boosters with that and we don't know what the stylization for a lot of this stuff is going to look like will each set get its own unique style or will there be something that gets carried through we've already seen the kind of like metal style quote-unquote for cal time and nothing else for the rest of the sets this year so far so we don't quite know if we are going to solidify on a unique foil per product or one unique uh, foiling version for all products. And that will kind of influence how people want to move in and out of foils moving forward and, and something we will be discussing in the next episode. So this was our... Uh, our, our review of foil as a whole because it is very important to understand especially the ratios for a lot of this stuff and why certain foils have a different multiplier than you would expect in, in the case of something like 7th edition. It's also something that we thought was kind of relevant because based on what's been happening lately with foil prices, yep. uh, which if you've been listening, you know we've been harping on for a while that some of this stuff was too cheap. Uh, we thought it was a little bit timely as well. So yeah, uh, in addition to just being good downtime, it was relevant. Yeah, uh, this this uh, request actually came in from one of our uh, patrons, and uh, I didn't grab the name, which is terrible of me. And we decided, you know, we, we discussed, we were like, this is a great topic, but there's a lot of information here. When do we want to do this? And we kind of pushed it off, and then we realized that, you know what, it's going to be a multi-part episode. There's no time better than the present while the reserveless spike is going on, let's talk about something else that could happen and start informing our listeners. So, you know, thank you for the suggestion in in Discord. And, you know, next week will actually be the episode you asked for, which is specking on or flipping foils as a whole. We just thought that to be better informed about foils, what they are, what they represent, is the best way to approach it, similar to the reserve list and what it means. You know, there, yep. there's history here, and if you jump in blindly, there's a very good chance you get burned. So, 
Knowledge is power. It is. Okay, and we don't want you guys to be powerless. Knowledge reigned supreme. One. Yeah. KRS one. All right. So, <laughs> specs. Yes. All right. I want to uh, go first this time because I said so. Go for it. All right. So, uh, this week I'm looking at uh, Cemetery Reaper. This card's like perennially uh, on my radar. It, it's just because, as, as you can see on stocks, it just is up, return to rav, troughs, comes back up, dips, comes back up. But every time it just keeps rising, right? This, this boat stays afloat. And as I, I was looking through this card, it's been on my, uh, my radar for, I think, like two months now, almost three. Um, ironically, some of the ancillary cards also started to, to pop. So uh, Cemetery Reaper is this kind of like ho-hum card. You look at it, it's like a zombie lord with this really like middling uh, activated ability. So it's like, all right, what does this card do? Well, this card does nothing but exist in zombie tribal. Like that's it, the end. It's one of a handful of lords and that's it. You have very few lords that do, you know, anything in zombies. And because it's a lord, it basically always makes the cut unless your combo zombies with like rooftop storm. But the nice part is the zombies base black so you always have the opportunity to run lords. It's always got a home. Um, yeah. the, the data around this is basically that, like, hey, if you're playing zombie tribal, then you're running this card. It is in 70% of uh, all zombie decks, or all, all decks on rec tagged as uh, zombie tribal. And that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, there are cards that are in more, but, you know, hey, this is what we have to... To work with overall you know and you start looking at the top commanders for zombie tribal you've got ghoul caller gissa scarab god weird things like uh Muldrotha. and then you see some of the new interesting things we got in like tormat tormod and um nevin roll and you kind of get the idea that really zombies despite being the number three most popular tribe on wreck just really doesn't get a lot of love over time no. you might get like two good cards a year if you're lucky and that's kind of what's really been keeping this card down uh, as a whole so uh, as as i'm looking through this and i'm watching tcg player and i'm watching card kingdom and it finally pops in both places and the delta between both of them is it was uh, extremely small when i picked it and it's closing now um the card kingdom is still buying 20 some at 350 the market on tcg player is uh 340 so there's immediate arbitra arbitrage opportunity on this and then over time Ghoul Caller Gissa, one of the top-rated generals for this card, begins to move on Card Kingdom, and Haven Ghoul Lich, uh, another one of the most popular cards that fits alongside this, also starts to pop. So we're seeing a little love for this card overall, and I think it's just really about vision that's keeping this card down as a whole, because there's nothing wrong or bad with this card when you look at zombies as a tribe. If you're going to turn your zombie sideways, you run Max Lords. And yeah. as I mentioned, yes, there are better lords insofar as they have better activated abilities or triggered abilities, but this still exists in the top three or four of zombie lords overall. Now, um, without a recent reprint on this card, which is choice, just M10, M12, and Arch Enemy, we're waiting for the supply of those two core sets to be removed from the market at a noticeable pace. And as I mentioned, despite the popularity of zombies as a tribe in EDH, there's little draw to this overall. It's not getting this tribe isn't getting a lot of light. Um, no. And then, as I mentioned, various other pieces are popping up on CK, right? So what we're kind of seeing now, and what we hope for, is just continued steady growth, basically unhampered by a reprint, and that'll put us in the black to buy us probably in about six months. 
if anything were to draw attention to zombies as a whole and put a little pressure on the tribe, that's when we're going to see a shortening of that time frame. And if we see a reprint of this, which I kind of doubt because they've had forever to do this, and in the interim, they've actually printed two at least zombie lords, one in Shadows Over Innistrad in uh, Diagraph Colossus, Lord of the Accursed in Amonkhet, and they reprinted Death Baron. So I yeah. doubt we're going to get Cemetery Reaper again. They're either going to riff or make something new. So we either get new eyes on this, so that be it new cards uh, or new content to put pressure on this. I think there's a, a six-month window, and then eventually this card just disappears and goes because this is the, what, like I said, the number three tribe on Wreck. It's behind, like, dragons and elves. Yeah, and I, I, I think, like you said, it's not a lord that they've been in on. So even if you do get, you know, something, like you said, you're not going to get this. You're no. going to get something else, Death Baron again, which... I, Death Baron kind of needed a reprint and people were all about it because the price was there. Mm -hmm. This is not something that has that massive need for a reprint. So it can just go up periodically as more eyes get on it and then dip down a little bit. Yep. But like you said, it's always going to flow. Exactly. And, and take a look at the, at the high synergy cards or the, the most played cards uh, for some of the more aggressive generals, and you'll see this there. Like I said, the only time this doesn't exist in any of the zombie tribal decks is when you're comboing off with Rooftop Storm, because then you're not turning sideways. So you don't need that lord, that intrinsic lord value. You don't need to no. worry about the tribe and, and your power toughness. You're just going to churn through your deck until you hit some Eldrazi's and then just blap somebody out, or yeah. you know, combo with Tormod, Lord of the Accursed. You know, there. This card should not be three. It should be five plus, especially with 70% representation across the entirety of the tribe. So uh, that's my pick. I'm happy to be holding a couple from like M10 and M12 because it was a player in standard. And I'd be happy yeah. to pick up some more. So my pick, keeping on the theme of not just this episode, but my last two picks... Uh, Foil Brink of Madness from Urza's Legacy. Now, when I picked this earlier in the week, there were 17 foil light played near mint listings under Urza's Legacy. This is, I will be full disclosure, this card is not good. This is the worst of this entire cycle. I felt, though, that based on what we were seeing, it was inevitable that the foil would rise in price. And sure enough, uh, we went from 27 of those listings now to 12. Sorry, it was not 17, it was 27, down to 12. The interesting thing about this is that at the time I picked it, TCG Low was $5. It's now $9.08 plus shipping. So we're getting to about the $10 range. So in the last week, this card has doubled up. Uh -huh. Now, the thing that makes this very, very interesting is when you look at market prices on Urza's Legacy foils. So we'll take a prior pick, one I used as an example here in this episode, Planar Collapse. Planar Collapse foil market is currently $16. The low, which is a 389 sales seller, is currently $25. So in two weeks, we've seen nearly a 70% growth from when it was around 15 when I picked it. This is happening all across Ursa's Legacy and Ursa's Destiny. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe that this is something that is going to trickle forward through the history of magic. Yep. 
I, it's just going to. I think this and, is actually going to parallel the reserveless growth that's now moving into Ice Age. People yeah. believed Ice Age was kind of this weird, uh, untenable set in regards to reserveless specking, but so all I, those cards were low-hanging fruit, right? Yeah, and you know we saw the meme splashes with like glacial crevasses, you know, years ago during the first reserveless boom, and everyone laughed. Oh, this card's not two dollars. But now we actually skeletal ship or whatever it is just insane yeah i it, it's just things that you know seem outlandish or improbable so brink was something i picked and has since dried up uh i think that if you can get them at an lgs if you can get them out of trade binders because this is one of those things that's just really quickly moving and people aren't necessarily paying attention to so you know people sit on old border foils that they may or may not use in their EDH deck. And they're like, oh, you know, I, uh, I've i got this shirt. They forget about it. So they don't necessarily know what they have. And not that you should take advantage of that, but them not knowing it does mean they don't really need it. So they're probably way less attached to it than someone who is on top of all this stuff from a collector's perspective. Absolutely. Uh, especially now, you know, at about the five to $10 range, I still think you have room for growth based on what we've seen with other cards um, on non-reserved list. Reserveless foils from this era, you know, I picked reserveless foils sub $100 months ago and used yeah. Multani as an example. But on the non-reserved list stuff, we're seeing such a prevalence now of middle school of, um, what's the other one? Not middle school. Doesn't use the stack. Oh. Why? Uh soft soft middle school yeah pre-modern that one god why could i not remember that you're seeing these formats start to explode so these old border foils are starting to pick up as the communities are driving these formats more and more since we have to play over webcams similar to edh and you have financiers moving in as well so the non-reserveless stuff i think actually has a decent amount of play here i think it might be about six to nine months before we see it but i very easily think you could see a buy list on brink of madness hitting 10 to 15 dollars in that time period so if you can get in at all for sub 10 dollars and make your 20 percent, i just think it's a really solid thing to go for um that's my pick yep. i i agree the uh, brink is a terrible card i was reading it and glowered. so bad yeah it's so bad um, but and i, I it's and it, it, it it's a good signpost yeah for exactly what you you mentioned, which is we're seeing old border foils, the shooting star foils disappear, and we'll see it move forward for non-tournament staples. Tournament staples and reserve list, they're yeah. a different boat overall because they have demand elsewhere for other reasons. So it's, this is the low-hanging fruit of this era is you know low print low print run cards because we are still you know back in the '90s. And our foil ratios, as we went over today, are about 1 in 100 for just a foil card, yeah. let alone uh, a, a rare, you know. So the population for something like this is extremely low, and this represents probably some of the, like, lowest risk, highest reward specking opportunity for a longer-term hold overall than a lot of other things you could be doing circa this era. And yeah. it's not going to take many to churn a profit in time, but it is something that you will just be able to toss away. Or no, sorry, not toss away. Toss aside. 
you know, yeah, set it. you can throw it in a box, forget about it, and then you'll come back to it and be like, when did this become money? Yep, exactly. Without thinking. Yep, exactly. And I, you know, uh, ropes effectively are, you know, pretty pretty top tier for, for stuff like this. And at a $10 buy-in for something that will be sought, sought after in time, it, it seems like an easy pickup overall, so... Uh, I like the pick. I hope we finish the cycle. I don't know what they are. Uh, uh, Delusions is reserve list, so that's not well, going anywhere. That's not the sack and, one. It's it's like second chance. Oh, yeah, second chance. That, that's uh, that's reserve list. But like, what's the green is? Defense. Defense of the heart. Okay, I think that I thought that was a destiny, not legacy. So, okay. Yeah. Which got reprinted, right? Yeah, because so. only the blue one is on the reserve list. Yeah, but only the green one is useful. I mean, the blue one, like, Hall of Helia's generosity aside, uh, yeah. the green one is the, is the one that sees play because of EDH. Uh, yeah, Quite. Mystery Booster. Okay, that's, it was reprinted in the list. Yeah. Or not the list, sorry, Mystery Boosters and a Judge promo. Yeah. So. You're it's all done. Yeah, defense is a $72, a $72 card because it has EDH playability, right? So that... To talk about the, the difference in prices overall. Yeah. That's where we are with something that's useful as a foil. So and I think that's going to cover it for this week. Everybody will be back next week to actually talk about specking on foils instead of just giving you a history lesson like we do every now and again. Yeah. Uh, but for MTG Cabalcast, uh, you can find us there on Twitter, Patreon, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, Audible. Uh, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are? At Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.